0: Hi everybody, I hope you had an amazing Pesach. Today is Thursday, and at the time I'm recording this, um, Pesach ended last Thursday, so a week ago, but I'm having these mixed feelings of like, I feel like Pesach literally just ended, like it's still kind of Pesach, it's not obviously, but like there's still some stuff in my house that needs to be put away, and just getting back into the swing of things is like a bit challenging over here, and at the same time it feels like a million years ago, but I did just want to take the opportunity in the intro to this episode to um, follow up about my last episode, which was like a self-care plan before Pesach, and I did get a lot of positive feedback from that, and And I did say this in the episode, but it was definitely for me as well. Like, I felt like this, like, really strong desire and pull to get it out before Pesach because I have done self-care episodes before Yantif before, probably many, probably four or five if you look back and I did one with Rena Reiser on her on her podcast about getting ready for Rosh Hashanah and Yantip in general it's just it's just if you think about it it's like the whole like your whole schedule is turned on its head like you're not at, a lot of times you're not in your home and you're in someone else's space and you're on someone else's time schedule and you're eating different food and you're not comfortable with where you are i don't mean comfortable in someone's house i just mean like for example we went to Rochester and like i don't know like, exactly what to buy, where the stores are. They don't even have a kosher supermarket. So things like that, the familiarity of where you live. Uh, Or maybe you are home, and then you're, you're the one hosting. And besides for the fact that, like, there's another, you know, person or family in your house, your whole kitchen is kind of upside down. Like, there's just such a change and a shift for the positive, but also it can be very challenging. So just to have that foresight about, like, my life's about to change in a real way for a few weeks, not even, like, oh oh, I got got to get used to this, because you don't really have to get used to this, because it's going to end soon, but you do have to, like, make a real shift, so just reflecting back on my own um, Yantif, we had a beautiful Yantif, we were home for the first days, we went to visit my in-law family in Teaneck for Holomite, and then we went to Rochester, where my father and my brother lived, And, and I told this, I might have said this on the other episode and I told to a bunch of clients that we got like really tried to be really organized and I am I'm now in Kayla Levin's how to glow program and she talks about like executing plans besides besides for you know planning it's like the execution plan like how are you going to follow out your plan which I really just really really appreciated so we made a spreadsheet with three tabs one with our schedule one with our menu and one with our grocery list and that way it's always on the computer and I could refer back to it next week I mean not next week, next year and it's still hanging on my head that we want to, like, take notes for what went well and what we want to change next year, which we definitely have to do. But just it helped the whole transition of pe- to Pesach, out of Pesach, go more smoothly. And that really um, helped me. And I hope it will be helpful to you. And at the same time, I'm telling myself that, like, sometimes you could plan and plan and plan and plan. And it could still not work out. And that's okay, too. And that's part of life. And I think just, like, what I always say, like, the self-compassion and the grace is going to really help you to say, like, I tried. I did my best. This didn't work out it's out of my control obviously Hashem's in charge you can't plan everything but just balancing those two things that on the one hand you have the ability to plan and you should plan on the other hand knowing that it's like i always say like a meal plan is a flexible meal plan so like a plan in general is a flexible plan because you'll never have it exactly as you want it or think it's best right um so yeah like just also another big part of Pesach that i felt was like really helpful was like knowing what I need, what my husband needs, what my family needs, and, like, not to be selfish, but, like, putting those needs first so that, like, everything could function better, not because, not to, be, not to, like, disregard other people's feelings at all, God forbid, but, like, just, I feel, I say this to clients a lot, like, people tend to treat you the way you treat yourself, right, and I talk about this with clients a lot, like, that triangle of dysfunction, like, rescuer, victim abuser, which, which, um, if you're a client of mine, you already know, um, but, like if you're in any of those roles in a relationship you could kind of rotate around the triangle and become all three of those roles and um part of being an adult i always say like now you're here now you're an adult like you are not a victim right so you could oh there's always other possibilities they might not be exactly what you want but um if you hold your ground and know what's best for you and do it respectfully. I find that other people really do respect that, even if they're like kind of upset about it. Also, I've heard this, I saw this on Instagram and I always quote it and I have no idea who said it, but I really, really like it. Um, people who get upset about your boundaries are often people who are benefiting from your lack of boundaries. So that's like something that really stays strong in my head because people who love us and respect us and ultimately want our best, they might be sad that they're not gonna see you at certain times or they might be sad that you decided, even though you said you were gonna help, it's just not working out, that might happen, but they still appreciate that you're true to your boundaries, I think. So that's just my personal experience and opinion, and I hope that's helpful. And now moving on to today's episode, which is with Sabrina Magnan, who's also um, an intuitive eating counselor, and she went through her own ups and downs with disordered eating, and she was actually um, a swimmer and you know, transitioning out of being a swimmer and how her body's changing, and I think she just has a really interesting story and really has a lot to say on the topic. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I've come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have with us Sabrina Magnin. I said that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. Okay, thanks for joining us today. Um Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Let's start with where do you live and what do you do?
1: Absolutely. So um, yeah, my name is Sabrina Magna. I am a holistic health coach and food freedom coach. So I help women overcome binge, emotional, and overeating by using the principles of intuitive eating, holistic health, and by helping them heal their relationship with food. Um, I live in Montreal, Quebec, and um, I, as I was telling you before, I have my own history with uh, unhealthy relationship with food with my body. So that's kind of how I fell into being so passionate about helping other women who are walking those same shoes that I was
0: in just a few years ago. Okay, awesome. So let's start with that. Um, Like, where did your story begin? And what I actually asked my clients to tell me on the first session is like, what's your earliest memory around food or body image? And that usually... Like, although that's like a one, you know, one or two questions, that's usually like the whole session, you know, because it's like spans, even if you think your disordered eating started when you were 20 or 25, it really started earlier with like the messaging, you know?
1: Yeah. And for me, it definitely started early. Uh, so I used to be a synchronized swimmer. Uh, I did that for eight years of my life. So from Good. the age of eight until 16. Wow. And I did it at a pretty high level. And so um, I don't know if you're familiar with like the culture around synchronized swimming, uh, dancing, ballet, it's really focused on what your body looks like. And right. um, everyone, like if you look at the top elite athletes and you look at Olympians, they all look the same. Right. They're tall, skinny, uh, thigh gaps, thighs as thin as like my wrist. And so I am not built like that. I am someone who just naturally has wider hips and bigger thighs and curves. But when I was younger, I, you know, I had the, the body of a, a child. And mm-hmm. so as I was getting older, um, my whole mentality around body image and around what your body means about you was very flawed because in that sport, it's all about being successful because of how your body looks. Please. Yes, skills are taken into account, but I remember so many athletes who were so talented and they just didn't have the same kind of respect because their bodies didn't look the typical, like the typical synchronized swimming body. And so there was there is a lot of eating disorders. Disordered eating is like encouraged in the sport. Things like if you had a bad practice, that means you're not allowed to eat dessert that day or that week.
0: Um,
1: So a lot of it depends who you have. But I had a lot of experiences with languages like that. My best friend um, got referred to as a bulldog. Like her body was a bulldog body. It wasn't she was told it wasn't a synchro body. Um, and so as I was nearing like the end of my career, um, it's like this thing in the sport that everyone says, like when you, when you quit the sport, you're no longer, I was training 20, 25 hours a week. Wow. And so you're no longer training like crazy where you can just eat whatever you want. So it's like this, this known phenomenon in the sport that a lot of athletes gain weight after they, they stop the sport and they go from being stick thin to being a normal body. Right, right? And that was my biggest fear because for me, like my worth was tied to how small I can be. And so my last year of swimming was when I kind of anticipated. So that's when I started changing the way that I ate. I remember I started eating, like, instead of eating chips, I started eating like the crispy minis or like the low calorie chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I officially came out of the sport is when the disordered eating, the body dysmorphia, the binging really started because then I didn't know how to move my body in a way that felt good. Um, and so I would spend two hours at the gym running on the treadmill because that's what burned the most calories Right. Uh, I didn't know how to eat. And so when my body was changing naturally, I went online and then I started doing the low carb and the fasting. Dr. Google. Yes, Dr. Google. Exactly. And so as any innocent desire to lose weight starts, it spiraled into I'm really good Monday to Friday. And then when Friday hits, I binge from Friday night until Sunday night. And then Monday is my reset button and I'm going to get back on track Monday. And that just that happened for about four years of my life. And then I got this beautiful invention, which was my Fitbit. And mm. then I could really control what was going on because I knew how many calories I was burning a day. I knew how many steps I was taking. I knew how many calories I was eating because, of course, my fitness pal was my best friend. Right. And so that spiraled into orthorexia because I was so obsessed with being healthy and having clean ingredients and like i was listening to podcasts by i don't know i I won't say names but like yeah. <laughs> functional, functional doctors that make you believe that you have to eat like these special mushrooms and put this powder in your coffee and so i got obsessed with like biohacking my body and it just spiraled into like this very unhealthy obsession with being healthy
0: okay hold on so let's go back backwards so first of all you do you have any siblings
1: uh yeah i'm the youngest of five kids
0: oh wow Mm -hmm. that's so cute did your other siblings also swim or or compete athletically
1: so my sister was also a synchronized swimmer um my one of my brothers was uh like a, a a swimmer and then my other two brothers were uh hockey players so we're a family
0: of athletes Okay. So was there an emphasis in your home also about a certain body size or a certain way of eating?
1: I would say that not outwardly. Like I don't, I I do now that I do this work, I do hear certain diet culture, um, language in my house. And now like I've really made an effort to bring it up to my parents, but they grew up in that era. And so things like, oh, you're going for a second plate. Mm -hmm. Um, questioning like your hunger like oh you're already hungry like you ate this this morning Mm -hmm. um and i remember very specifically like for anyone who has struggled with disordered eating like you remember every comment that anyone has ever said about food and your body and i remember I remember my sister, when I was going, when I got my period for the first time and I was about to go through puberty, my sister said, you're about to gain a lot of weight. And mm-hmm. for me, I remember exactly where I was standing in my kitchen and thinking, I will not let that happen. Like I'm going to prove her wrong. Um, and, and like, it was this, this idea that like, if you gain weight, that's the worst thing in the world.
0: Totally, totally, um, it's crazy. I just want to, I just want to um, educate the listeners for a second that people do gain weight when they get their period, and that's a good thing because you need a certain amount of body fat in order to menstruate. And obviously, men, menstruating is a beautiful, healthy, normal part of life. Like you were saying before, your body has curves and you have bigger hips. Like women, women have curves, right? That's part of being a woman. Um, Yeah.
1: And, and that actually like I, when I had uh, developed orthorexia and I lost a lot of weight below my set point weight, I didn't get my period for a year and a half.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's definitely an indicator of something, something going awry. Mm -hmm. And I will also educate the listeners again and say that a lot of people, uh, you know, the book Sick Enough.
1: Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it.
0: Yeah, it's a great book, and the author is, a, is an eating disorder doctor, and she just says like, even if you don't lose your period, you're still sick enough, you know? So like people say, I've had clients tell me that. Well, I haven't lost my period yet, so I'm healthy. And I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah, um, for sure. So and when I was, when I was in... When
1: I was in university, um, I was I became aware near the end when I was at my sickest. I became aware finally that like this is not this is not healthy. Like you're you're not going out to eat with friends. You're terrified of eating. You're always thinking about food. But I had that mentality of but you're not visibly underweight um -hmm. you're not you're not what a typical eating disorder would look like Mm -hmm. and so i would book an appointment with the school therapist and then the day before i would cancel it because i was like i'm not sick enough i don't need help i can this is just food i can figure this out on my own Mm -hmm.
0: and were people around you reinforcing your like like giving you compliments for your behaviors and the way that you looked
1: Oh, a 100%. I lived in Ottawa at the time. And so whenever I would come back to visit my family or my friends comments about how much weight I had lost, I remember my mom at one point, I was wearing again, I remember exactly what I was wearing. I was wearing sweatpants. And she was like, Oh, my God, you have no bum anymore. And I took that as like, you're doing well like keep going. Um, So I definitely remember every single comment. It was reinforced. And I was known as like the healthy friend. So I was the disciplined friend who went to the gym at 6am on Saturday mornings instead of going out on Friday night. The Mm -hmm. one who ate a salad in front of other people um, and never ate something unhealthy. Like I was the disciplined friend. So absolutely that was reinforced.
0: Yeah, I had a similar experience. Like you're bringing up some memories of just like Yeah, being the healthy girl and getting that identity and being like, wow, you're so you're so motivated. You're so disciplined. How do you do it? But in my head thinking like, I'm crazy. (laughs) You know, like I can't, like you said, like you can't go out with friends or you can't, even if you do go out with friends, you're so afraid of the food and it really takes away from life.
1: And it was kind of crazy because I would not go out, let's say it was a Friday night and my friends were going out to the restaurant or a bar, I wouldn't go out because I was so afraid of what was going to be in my food or liquid calories, but then I would stay home and I would be so sad and so isolated that I would eat as much or more than if I had just gone out with my friends. Right,
0: right. Was there anything else going on in your life that like you, you were using food to control what was going on? You don't have to share, but was, you know, a lot of times I see that with clients, like this is really their coping mechanism.
1: I definitely think that there was an aspect of control as a lot of eating disorders can be. Um, it got worse when I moved to Ottawa when I started university this was the first time that I was moving away from home I had never taken care of myself I was in a very hard program I was in financial math and economics like Mm -hmm. I was working really hard and so I also know that like the way that I was raised we have a family of overachievers. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was extremely successful. Um, All of my siblings are extremely smart and successful. And I mean, so am I. But I always felt like I needed to prove myself or I needed to be the best at everything. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be the best at school. I had to be the best in health. I need to eat the best. I needed to exercise the best. Um, and I'm sure that you experienced this um, and I experienced this as my clients is this sense of perfectionism, mm-hmm. like trying to be perfect in what you're doing. And then that translates to food and exercise.
0: Right. So it sounds like you were definitely struggling with um, like restricting and binging, not just yes. restricting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then what happened after, it sounds like, did you have an aha moment? Like you said this was going on for four or five years where you were really disordered.
1: Yeah. So the restricting and binging was about four or five years. And then the orthorexia and like the unhealthy obsession with being healthy was like another two or three. Um, and there was definitely like a rock bottom moment where I remember it was Christmas break. And I was like at my most depressed. I was no longer seeing my friends. I was tired all the time. I was exhausted. I had no life. Were you clinically and depressed? I never, I never sought out help um, mm-hmm. because I really thought I I should be able to fix this by myself. There's nothing. And nobody wrong. knew.
0: No, none of your friends were concerned. Your parents
1: weren't concerned. No.
0: Wow. No.
1: Um, especially because I was living away from home. So when I would come home, um, they just saw someone who was like really healthy. Right. Like they, they, and I, again, like my body, even when I was underweight, doesn't look like someone who was underweight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was obsessed with having a thigh gap and eventually I did. I mean, I would, God, I would stand oh, in the, those thigh
0: like, gaps, right? Oh
1: my God. Eye. I would, I would stand in the mirror and I would pull my fat like apart to see what I would look like with a thigh gap. And mm-hmm. I would be like one day i'm gonna be able to do this Mm -hmm. um and so for me to like get to a point where i was able to do that that was so unnatural for Mm -hmm. my body Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i did i was it was christmas break and i remembered thinking i need to do something that's going to like shock me out of this spiral because if i keep doing more of the same um I'm going to go crazy. But when you're in that darkness, you honestly don't know what to do. And so like the thought of me um, deleting my fitness pal or like not having that control over my food was really scary and I couldn't get myself to do it. And so I was looking at the summer that was coming ahead and I didn't have any responsibilities when it came to like a job or a relationship. And I had always wanted to travel. I like my life, I always wanted to be a traveler, and so I looked at that and I said, "Okay, well, I this is a perfect opportunity to travel." And I heard about a lot of people my age who were going to like foreign countries and acting as a nanny, so they were mm-hmm. living with like these foreign uh, families and just babysitting the kids and getting housed and fed. And so I had always wanted to go to Italy, so I started looking into that and as I was doing the research and like talking to different families, I, I was so scared to go and I didn't, I almost didn't want to go because I, I was scared of gaining weight. I was scared of eating carbs, like, especially Italy, it's Mm -hmm. the land of food. Right. And when I would tell people about like my intentions and how I was looking into it, a lot of people said, well, how like they would joke about it. But for me, it was real. Like, how are you going to do that? You're going to have to eat bread and desserts and you hate doing that. And it wasn't that I hated doing that. I was just scared of doing it.
0: Right. You really so, hid your disorder. well. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And so when I saw how my eating disorder was holding me back from living, like traveling and and just going out into the world, I knew that if I didn't fix this now, if I didn't push myself out of my comfort zone, then gone are the intentions of traveling and having a normal life and like being in a relationship and being able to eat around someone and just spontaneous dinner dates. And so it was that moment of like, this is terrifying, which means that I should be doing it. Mm -hmm. So I went to Italy the first day that the Italian uh, Nana saw me, she said, "Oh my God, you're so skinny. Let's get you some food." And right away, I was like, "I've made a terrible mistake. This is mm-hmm. gonna be a horrible summer And slowly but surely that summer, I started noticing that if I ate more and if I ate carbs, I actually felt better, and I wasn't thinking about food you're and I so was undernourished. Yeah. And I could eat the dessert and not binge and I could eat the dessert and not gain 10 pounds of a weight, which is like this is really what I thought that would happen if I had the one thing, because that's what diet culture taught me. And so my entire mentality around food, especially like Italian culture, is all about enjoying food and using it as a sense of connection of peace and so I came back from that summer knowing that I wasn't completely healed but I was like it was that seed that was planted of like Mm -hmm. I had a very flawed mentality when it comes to food so I need to go to work to deconstruct all of this and start healing because I cannot go back to where I was before
0: okay so actually I want to say a few things about that So first of all, I I said that you hid your disorder well, but also it sounds like the people around you were very stuck in diet culture that they so reinforced it, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's so important for people to hear this story because when you are underfed, your brain doesn't work properly. So of course, you're not going to be able to make good decisions. You're not going to be able to make rational decisions if if you don't have enough calories. Mm -hmm. And that is... Yeah, part of an eating disorder, Um, and then just like that, refeed that refeeding and that re-nourishing and getting back like your brain cells, you know. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, like you know, the principle of intuitive eating, like making peace with food. Um, You really did challenge yourself in a way, and it could have gone, it could have gone badly because it sounds Mm -hmm. like that was a really big challenge. But that is like really what you needed was to like slowly but surely like see that. Like I talk about that a lot with clients that in other countries. Um, food is a source of pleasure and joy and connection and love and you know and in certain countries it's like it's like a, it's like just just negative because it's so or even though we love it and we talk about it and there's all these restaurants and food network shows but we still have this underlying food is really bad and I'm bad if I eat it and emotional eating is bad right so yeah you had like a like probably like a culture shock that shocked you back to like reality
1: 100%. And when I came back from that trip after the summer, I had like reverse culture shock. I hated the culture I was coming back to um, because I think that, as you said, like the making peace with food aspect is so huge and it could have gone wrong because I'm sure that you see this and I see this in women who try to start intuitive eating and they're like, well, I'm just going to make peace with food and I'm just going to eat all of the foods. And then they end up binging and feeling even more out of control. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you either have the support from a coach, a dietitian, a therapist to actually take you through systematically, or for me, I didn't have the support, but I was doing it in an environment that encourages eating slowly and mm-hmm. tasting your food and paying attention and being grateful. That helped me not completely go off the the week deep end because I was able to start bringing gratitude to the food that I was eating instead of, like you said, eating it out of fear.
0: Right. Totally. So when you came back, was that like, now you're, now you are a coach. So how did that happen?
1: Yeah, so when I came back, as I said, I wasn't completely healed. Uh it happens, it doesn't happen overnight. But then that's when I started just dis- I decided like I need to learn more about this and I need to start changing my entire narrative around food and my body. And so I started listening to podcasts and reading books. And then I decided, like after I felt like I had a really good grasp on it, I just realized there are so many women in this world who struggle with where i was just a few years ago and i need to show people that there's a different way to be healthy to be happy without being afraid of eating and that gaining weight sometimes is exactly what you need and what your body needs. And so I met a health coach, uh, very randomly at a restaurant. She told me what she did. And I was like, this, this is exactly what I want to do. So I, I went through a certification program. I got certified. she,
0: She was certified in intuitive eating.
1: No. So she was, we like briefly talked and she told me how health coaching basically takes like a holistic approach to it. So instead of just looking at food or exercise, it takes into account your relationship with food, your relationship with exercise, stress, sleep, your relationships, like your, your relationships, your romantic relationships, your social connections. Um, it looks at how all of these things, play with one another because what most people do when it comes to dieting is they just focus on what do i eat and what don't i eat Mm -hmm. and there's so many like roots that connect to that that they don't even touch on especially when it comes to emotional eating a lot of people think that emotional eating is the problem when a lot of the times it's just the symptom of either a lack of balance in their life or a lack of joy or emotional dysregulation And so I wanted to dive into all of that. And so I became certified and then I I started my business. And I've been doing it for three years now. And even though having a business is hard at times, it has been the the most fulfilling best thing I've ever done. It just feels it feels like I'm
0: doing exactly what I need to be doing. So how did you hear about intuitive eating? Like how did that happen?
1: I think it was when I when I when I figured out that there was something wrong with the way that I was thinking, that's when I started diving into like podcasts and changing my social media feed mm-hmm. um, instead of having what I eat in a day videos and yeah. oh my fitness gosh. trainers. I God like my entire Instagram, if I could go back to a few years ago, like my saved posts were just like healthy recipes and what I eat in a day videos and workout videos and now it's like self-care and mental health and mm-hmm. those things that actually do promote well-being um so i think it was just through through doing my research through reading books and i remember when i read the intuitive eating book for the first time i was i don't know how you felt but like for me it was like someone had read my mind and put it down on paper
0: mm-hmm. I felt similar, like, oh, this is why I was binging, or this is why I was um, feeling so isolated, or this is why, you know, the the social connections of dieting, or this is why I felt so good when people would compliment me because it was, like, so much a part of my identity. And, like, you know, I, like, I I was so good. I was so in control. I was so strong, right? So mm-hmm. when I read the book, I was like, oh, that was, like, exactly what I was struggling with. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, and that that validation is is huge because I I'd run a group coaching program and I've done one on one coaching and I've done group coaching and what I love about group coaching is that these women before they join like they feel so alone they feel yeah. broken they feel misunderstood they don't most of them don't talk about this stuff with anyone because right. there's so much shame and guilt wrapped up into it. And so just hearing that someone else has had the same experience that someone else is walking the same shoes as you, that can relate to your stories is huge for the healing process.
0: That's so true. I I've run different groups. Like I actually like I started my podcast right around COVID and then I also started my group which was great because I was already familiar with Zoom, um, and I did like different groups, like six weeks, four weeks, and just now, um, tonight is my is week twelve of twelve weeks, and like mm-hmm. I see such a difference, like not to not who's ever listening, not the, those group those first groups were bad, but like twelve week, like I feel like one of the most I always say like I'm so inspired, and like I remember like one week the women were like thank you guys all so much, and I was thinking like I'm so happy that she wasn't like thanking me. Like it's, it's not, not me. It's like they show up. And some people are hesitant to spend the money and to the time commitment. and then when and then every time they do it, it's just like it's like unburdening. Like like you're not alone. And also, I think it's important for people to hear this, like also like, like most of my listeners are Jewish, and we have like like we don't we try really hard to like, like I know that some of my clients are Jewish, and some of my clients are not Jewish. And I've heard this from some clients who like like for example we try to dress like modestly so we don't wear like bathing suits to the beach right Mm -hmm. so for my clients who who do wear bathing suits to the beach it's like a gazillion times harder because like everybody's actually seeing their body so as the summer approaches it's like what am I going to do like am I going to go to the beach am I not going to go to the beach am I going to challenge myself am I not and like just taking the focus off of like how our bodies look and noticing that like we're so much more than a body but like diet culture and like people making money off of us are like, are, and I don't like, I'm really not such a feminist, but like Mm -hmm. to keep women small. Like I remember writing on my Instagram, like diet, diet culture keeps us small, you know, dieting makes us small. Like, why should we be small? Like, why should we be quiet? Why should we uh, like the more we're obsessed with the way we look, the more we're obsessed with buying products that make us look better. It's like, it's an addiction. Like it doesn't ever make you feel better ultimately. And you just, keep going and going and going. And like, like I always say, like if 80% of your brain is taken up by how you look and what you're eating, what about the rest of your life? Are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have a career? Like, do you have a religion? Like, so how could you... Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a supporter of mine. I really, really appreciate it. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating for this podcast. An Apple Podcast. You could leave a five-star rating. You could write a review, and it really does help the podcast move up in the ranks and uh, to help other people find this intuitive eating, self-help information that we have out there. And you could also su- you could also become a subscriber to the podcast and a supporter of the podcast. So you could either make a monthly donation or you could reach out to sponsor a podcast, and that would also be super, super awesome, especially if you had a specific topic you wanted me to cover or a specific person you wanted me to interview. Um, that really does help the podcast um, continue to be going. Um, and just so you know, you could find a lot of other information on my website for free at com. There's a lot of YouTube videos there. A lot of the podcasts are YouTube videos as well. So if you if you're more visual and you want to watch it, And there's a lot of blogs there. There's there's so many blogs now. A lot of times when clients ask me a question or followers ask me a question, I'm able to refer them to the blog. So check that out. And um, you could also check out on my website under the shop tab. There's many um, specific classes that you could purchase like when I spoke in high schools to teenage girls or when I spoke to preschool teachers, if you're looking specifically for that information, like how to speak to your teens and how to speak to your children about how to create the healthy, positive feeding dynamic in your home, as well as an episode that I did with she Fruchter on IFS, which was a very um, moving episode on how to use IFS in terms of your polarized parts. One part of you really believing in intuitive eating and another part of you feeling really torn about your body changing and not being comfortable with it. And I also now have actively a group running that you could always join. It's a 12-week course, but you could join it at any time and it's going to 10 principles. So wherever you join, you'll be on that principal and you'll get access to all the recordings. So I think it's amazing. I just finished my 12-week course before Pesach and it was amazing and I really felt like this strong bonding with all the women and I felt like everybody had had gone through a transformation including myself because no matter how many times you learn this stuff and you you just always turn over turn over a new leaf and learn new things and learn from other people and I think it's just really inspirational honestly and I do say that it's life-changing and I know that sounds dramatic but I've just seen for myself and for so many people that it really is a huge change just a mindset shift and like amazing things could happen. So check all those things out and enjoy the show. Possibly have a good quality of life when your brain's like totally hijacked by diet culture.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think of all of the women I've spoken to who have told me that they don't like being on camera. They don't like putting themselves out there. They don't like speaking up because of the way that their bodies look. And I just think of How much our world would be different if all of these women had the courage to speak up and to bring their ideas to the table and to have a voice. Like, we would have women are awesome. We have great ideas and i always explain this to my client i never would have been able to start a business and to be as successful as i am if i was still obsessed with the way that my body looks because like you said 80 percent of my brain space was thinking about what did i eat what should i eat calories carbs like you cannot put that energy towards things that actually make your life matter and then when you die you take your body with you. Right. Like no one is going to be talking at your funeral about the size of your jeans or your number on the scale. They're not going to say Sabrina was awesome because she was so thin. Right. They're going to remember how you showed up in the world, how you made them feel, and you cannot show up the best version of yourself when you feel so crappy on the inside. Right.
0: Actually, do you, I'm sure you've heard Christy Harrison's podcast, like Food yes but she's talked about this in her book anti-diet also that like she really had so many passions like she wanted to be a journalist she wanted to be um I forget what else but she's like I know that if it wasn't for diet culture I wouldn't become wouldn't have become a dietitian. and she's like it literally shaped my entire being because I was so fixated on food and she became like a food journalist and a dietitian. and it's like wow like like people have so many like passions and goals and like And yeah, it's a a great profession to be a dietitian. But if all you're going to do is that was one of the things that made me feel really down about the profession was like, am I really a food police? Like, am I really here to be like, don't eat that? Don't eat that. Like, like that doesn't work. I know that doesn't work. So what am I here to do? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've had women go through my program. And because of that brain space that they get back and not only the brain space, but the self-esteem that you gain when you heal from this they've had um they had the courage to quit their jobs and go for a better paying job or ask for a promotion or get in relationships or buy a new house like it's not just about the food it's all of the things that you're missing out on because you're not willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone to ask for more because again like you were saying we make ourselves small.
0: Yeah, totally. I love that. And I've, I actually recently said that to the group. I was like, when we talk about like self-care and when we, and I say like, when you have an urge to eat and you know, you're not physically hungry, like stop and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? What do I need? And I'm like, I'm telling you, this could change your life. It could change your entire life. If you have a good self-care plan. Cause like, maybe like you really are a good singer or maybe you're a good dancer, maybe you're good at piano, or maybe you want to switch careers and you're just really depressed at your job. And like, that's what you're eating to cope with that. And it's like, it could literally change your life because that that data like of why am I binging or why am I restricting? Because it's yeah. never really – like you said, it's the symptom of something deeper.
1: Yeah, and diet culture, what it does is it makes you focus on the binging and it makes you focus on you having something wrong with you, low discipline, low willpower. And so it doesn't allow you to actually look at what is – what is actually going on here? I know for me, like as of 8 p.m., that was my binging time. Right. And uh, that was like the time that I was out of control. And when I actually stopped blaming myself and thinking that there was something wrong with me and I evaluated what's really going on here. I mean, there was obviously a bunch of different pieces. But one big thing was that at nighttime, I have I have Raynaud's, which means that I don't know if you know what that is. No, I don't. Um, so the circulation to my hands and fingers gets cut off very easily. So even if my body's like kind of like normal, my hands and toes are going to be freezing cold. And I tend to just be a cold person. And on top of that, I live with chronic pain because I have scoliosis. And so at nighttime is when it's the worst. The pain is the worst. I'm the most cold. And so I almost noticed that I was looking for cold comfort and for warmth. And so now I know that like, I have my blue heat blanket on me right (laughs) now, but like, I know that a heat blanket, stretching, going, taking a bath, like putting, um, anti-inflammatory cream on me. Like that's
0: what I need. It's not the food. It's the comfort that I need. Mm -hmm. So I have that a lot. And I see this to clients a lot that like a lot of my clients have like a lot of kids, right? So like we live in a culture where people have I, I said I have four kids, but I have friends who have five kids, six kids, seven kids, you know, and I'm one of nine actually. And- oh my God.
1: <laughs> so I I sound like nothing when I'm saying the youngest no, of five. We,
0: no, because when I said I have four kids and you're one of five, that's a lot. That is yeah. a lot. I know as a mother of four. And I always ask them, like, when's, you know, when do you find yourself out of control? So there's multiple reasons why nine o'clock is like prime time. Like maybe you're not eating enough, maybe your self care is low. But a lot of times it's like the kids are finally in bed and I can finally just be there for myself and the chocolate's calling my name and I feel horrible when I eat it. I feel gross. I feel disgusting. I feel full. I feel bloated. But, it, you know, it's there for me. It's always there for me. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you were there for everyone else the whole day. You didn't take care of yourself. You didn't eat anything. Even if you did eat something, it wasn't food that you liked because maybe you're still stuck in diet culture. And it's like nine o'clock comes around and it's like, if you're not going to say like, oh, what I would really love to do is take a bath or what I would really love to do is go out with a friend or take a walk around the block or anything. It doesn't have to cost money or take a lot of time. Then yeah, I mean, the chocolate's going to help you in that moment more than, I don't know, screaming at someone or, you know, doing something that's really not helpful. So.
1: Yeah, and that's why emotional eating is a hard pattern to break because a lot of people, they have a love-hate relationship with food and food is one of their primary or only sources of real joy of of self-care. And so when the thought of taking that away and they don't have any other emotional regulating tools or any other self-care practices, it's like then what is going to what am I going to look forward to? at the end of the day, like mm-hmm. what if I don't have food to comfort me and that, that thing that's always there, then what else am I going to do? And the thought of taking that away is really difficult to even imagine.
0: Right. And if, if any of my clients are listening now, I say this a lot, like, don't worry, I'm not going to take away the food. Don't worry. I'm not going to take away the food. Don't worry. I'm not gonna, Cause like, I always say this and I, sometimes I explain this to clients, like new clients or parents of clients, like that food is saving them. That food is literally saving them right now because they don't have any other coping strategies. Mm -hmm. Should they learn other coping strategies? Yes, but they don't have other coping strategies. They don't know that they should ask themselves, what do I need? And that's, you know, multi-layered. Like sometimes it's because they were never asked what they needed as kids or they were never given what they needed as kids or they were blamed for having needs as kids, you know, or just because they just have a hard time asking or they think they, they were never taught that they matter, whatever it is. And it's like, this is like a new language for people like you matter. You, of course, are going to get your needs met one way or another. So whether that's with chocolate or going to therapy and yeah it's hard work. This is hard work. It's really like self-development, you know?
1: Yeah. And I'm sure that you work with a lot of mothers. I work with a lot of mothers and there's this constant like feel feeling that you need to put other people's needs ahead of your own. And so the thought of like going to therapy or taking care of yourself, going for a walk, taking a bath or investing in a program to heal your relationship with food, it can feel so, that word selfish and when you stop and realize that like maybe your relationship with food and healing your relationship with food is the least selfish thing that you can do because your kids are learning from what you do not what you say and so when you actually are a role model for a positive and you know how to be a positive role model for a healthy positive relationship with food and for body image you're setting your kids up for a much brighter future
0: Mm-hmm. it's true I mean I have so I have a daughter and then three boys and um it's really like I say this to clients a lot like if you if you want your kids to have a healthy relationship with food and their body like you have to do the work on yourself like because mm-hmm. if you hate your body even if you don't ever say it you're not looking in the mirror and reading your body but you feel horrible about yourself your kids really know that and you're kind of like giving that to them unfortunately and like I'm not pointing fingers at anyone I'm just saying like it's just so sad like like I already hear that the kids around me like talk about like I'm so fat and I'm so ugly and I hate the way I look and my thighs are too skinny and too fat and too big and too small and, too, and it's like where do we get this from like why why are we all so mean to ourselves i like why are we so hyper focused on these things it's like it's for what it's for nothing it doesn't help anyone you know.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's like one thing that we're conditioned to believe that being healthy means looking a certain way. And then the other side of the equation is also being convinced that being skinny means being worthy in our society. And so of course it is so hard to disconnect ourselves from that.
0: Yeah, it is really hard. Do you have any like tips on how to do that? Like, I know clients ask me a lot, like, I'm ready to make peace with food. I'm ready to do intuitive eating, but like, I still hate the way my body looks or I am in a larger body. And even if I accept myself, people aren't accepting me.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I had to do for myself is what are the fears that are coming up for me when I think of gaining weight, right? What do I fear is going to happen? And when you write that down and you actually look at them like, intellectually and factually one of the fears which was so irrational but that's like what my ego was telling me was people love you because you're the healthy one like Mm -hmm. i actually believe that that people i had friends because of the way that my body looked and what was ironic was that i actually lost friends when i had my eating disorder because truly no one, no one cares about how you eat or how you exercise. And when you're obsessed with your body, you're less fun to be around. Right. That's just, that's just the, the fact. And so I wrote down all of these fears that came up for me. And then I'm sure that you do a lot of reframing in your program. Um, and I do that as well. It's like, let's challenge these fears. Let's see if they're true. Um, let's see how I can think of them differently. And so now, like even now, I have bad body image days. We all do. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what body you're in, mm-hmm. especially around my period. Like it's it's no bueno. Um, mm-hmm. And so whenever I, I see myself in the mirror, number one is well stop body checking right like looking at your roles and stretch marks and and tearing yourself apart like i used to lift my my shirt every time i walked by the mirror to mm-hmm. like see what i looked like that day and then that just reinforces this this belief that your body is the most important thing about today right. um and so no more body checking and whenever i hear those negative thoughts coming up for me in the mirror I just, I have a couple of affirmations that I come back to. And for one of them that works really well for me is no one loves you because of the way that you look. And so if you were to gain weight, you're, and you are meant to gain weight, no one is going to ditch you. You're not, you're not going to be less worthy. And so I, I recommend my clients to try on different, different reframes, like to try them on like a shirt and see which ones make you feel better. Give you a sense of relief because what might work for me might not work for you. And so having those things that make you feel better, that give you that sense of relief and kind of take away that fear of weight gain because As long as there is that fear, it's really hard to get to a place where you're at peace with food.
0: Yeah, that's for sure, true. I think that it's very hard for people who feel like they're in like not socially accepted bodies because like they really they really do feel like they don't fit in. Like they're going to be fat shamed at the doctor. They're going to be they might be fat shamed anywhere. They might, you know, whether it's in their head or not, um, I I find that that comes up a lot with clients that like. I love intuitive eating like I'm done with dieting but like I don't know if I could ever give up weight loss or I don't know if I could ever give up like you know and I, I do say like listen my goal is never to make you not want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to lose weight in 2023 because it's everywhere like you can't go I don't know about you but like I feel like for me like you can't have a conversation with other women without weight loss coming up or the lo- latest diet or Whatever bodies
1: is. or yeah.
0: Yeah so like of course you're going to feel like that. It's yeah. definitely a lot of work like you said like actively not looking in the mirror all the time actively working with the thoughts in your head you know actively coming up with affirmations that i i say that too like what i'm gonna give you some ideas of affirmations but don't lie to yourself they have yeah. to work for you
1: yeah and and i so agree that like it's really hard to give up i'm the same i never say like i want you to completely give up the the desire to lose weight but at the same time i want you to reflect on your past experiences every time that you have actively tried to lose weight, how did that end up for you? Right. Not just in the short term, but in the long term. Right. And if if your body is meant to settle at a lower weight, at your set point weight, if that's meant to happen, the only way to do that is actually to put weight loss on the back burner. Right. Because intentional weight loss, we all know, is gonna lead to a restriction period, and then a binging period. And that is not a way to be consistent and maintain a healthy weight. And so reflecting on our past experiences and remembering that classic quote of like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, let's try something different. Yeah, It's gonna take longer, but you have, we're thinking long-term now. We're thinking about the rest of your life instead of the next month.
0: Right. Evelyn Tripoli, like one of the authors of Intuitive Eating, when I was doing the training, um, she's like, I want you to um, like when like in the first few sessions, you ask like, okay, what diets have you been on and what quote unquote have worked for you? And like, so, you know, people reflect on like 10, 20, 30 diets or like whatever, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 years of their lives. And they're like, yeah, that diet or Weight Watchers, that one really worked for me. Keto, that one really worked for me. And then it's like, okay, well, what are the ramifications of that diet? Oh, I'm obsessed with my points. I always know every point. I can't eat carbs calmly. it's like, okay, so what's the definition of working for you? Because actually now you're even more obsessed. So just mm-hmm. remembering that, you know?
1: Yeah. And and another one for me that was really helpful is I know what it would cost me to get back to the body that I used to have when I was disordered? And is it worth the cost of it? Is it worth the lack of period, the constant exhaustion, the obsession with food, the social isolation, losing my friends, is it worth it? And when I think of that, I know without a fact, without a doubt, absolutely not. I would much rather like my happiness, my well-being is so much more important now than the way that my body looks.
0: Yes, exactly. Like, like asking yourself, like, would I rather be um, X pounds heavier, but also have a life? Mm -hmm. And also like, I think this comes up a lot with clients when like, let's say you were saying, what's your biggest fear of gaining weight? So I think it comes up, my husband's not going to be attracted to me. Like, that's a big fear. And um, I think that like, I say this to clients a lot, like when it comes up that, and this is my belief that men are attracted to confidence and men are attracted to like self-love right Mm -hmm. and self-acceptance so like you can't like ignore the fact that people are attracted to each other and that's part of like chemistry and love and all those things I'm not I'm not like ever saying that but really when you like when you get married or in a long-term relationship like you're not really in love with the way somebody looks it's you kind of don't even think about the way that that person looks when you're thinking about that person you're thinking about your love for that person or your connection to that person or activities you've done with that person that were really meaningful right yeah so um it doesn't mean that your husband might not notice that you gained weight and he might not even like that you gained weight number one that's not really on you that's really Mm -hmm. on him and number two of like bodies change right and um and people people's metabolism change and that's all part of life so I feel like you can't change your weight Healthfully, yeah. intentionally, but you can change your attitude to, attitude about yourself, and I think that's the most attractive thing. I really do. Maybe people would argue with me, but that's like that's that's my belief, you know.
1: Yeah, and like, what if you were to gain weight, but also you gain your confidence, right? right? And so now you're confident enough to get intimate with him which I'm sure that he would love right Right. you're confident enough to go out to dinner with him instead of staying home and having the salad Um, when you yes there is gaining weight but also staying at the same level of confidence where you don't want to do anything or there's gaining weight and gaining your relationship back Um, and so that's important too is like they want they want you they want the connection they want the relationship they don't want your thinner body without like, kind of like a shell of a human.
0: Right. Totally. I totally agree with that. Okay. I'm going to wrap up. I actually have a client in a few minutes, uh, but where could people find you?
1: Uh, yeah. So they can find me on Instagram at Sabrina manual health. They can find my podcast. So it's called live unrestricted. Um, and yeah, those are probably the two best places that they can
0: find me. Okay. And are you accepting new clients? Are you open? Do you have an open group? yeah so
1: i don't know when this is
0: going to air um do you have an idea might air this Wednesday. It might air in a few weeks. I am very intuitive about when I air which episodes.
1: (laughs) Okay, perfect. So I am um, my new my group coaching program Food Freedom Academy. I have a new group that is starting mid May. And so if you're interested in learning more, you can find uh, you can send me a message on Instagram. And I also have a free intuitive eating challenge that is starting April 20th. So if any of your listeners are like new to intuitive eating, they just want like the, the first couple of steps. to get them started on that journey, um, then I will be promoting that to my email list and on social media when registration starts. It's completely free. So that will be
0: happening in about three weeks. Okay, awesome. Okay, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, have a great day. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.